Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What a busy week, my brothers and sisters. What was supposed to be a short week with the MLK holiday instead felt like, I don't know, one of the longest weeks to me. How did your week go? Was it ordinary, extraordinarily good, extraordinarily bad? Regardless, a lot happened this week in this country. Perhaps the most notable was the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden, and the first woman, the first African-American, and first Asian-American vice president, Kamala Harris. In his inauguration speech, President Biden made strong and repeated calls for unity. However, unity without further qualification cannot be our goal as Christians. For Jesus himself said in St. Luke's Gospel, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And that last part, I guess, is a pretty accurate description of many of our Thanksgiving dinner tables when especially maybe we come to talking about politics at them, those divisive politics upon which a lot of what Biden spoke about in terms of unity was focused. So is that to say Christians are anti-unity? Well, I certainly hope not, and I'll explain. But we can't begin to have unity until we agree what we're supposed to be united about. Reminds me of another um, saying, that uh, another word that's a favorite among politicians. Progress. G.K. Chesterton considered progress a useless word, and I quote, a useless word for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. Or another of our favorite folks, C.S. Lewis, he similarly observed that, quote, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. So unity, if I may make my own gloss of Chesterton, is a useless word. Unity is a useless word because it takes for granted something that connects us, and it's precisely about what connects us that we disagree. And I want to make clear, I'm not criticizing Biden's speech from some partisan political position. I'm criticizing it as a Christian. And I hope that you've spent long enough in these pews to know that to be a Christian isn't something that is Democrat or Republican, red or blue or purple. It's about one thing and one thing only. For us Christians, there's only one fundamental thing that connects us. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. For St. Paul tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all united in Jesus Christ. And more amazingly, we're not just united to one another in Jesus Christ, but we're united to God himself. For the same Jesus who brought a sword rather than peace also prayed the following as related in St. John's Gospel. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we, Jesus and the Father, are one. Something deeper, though, is being spoken about than just common agreement or intellectual assent to common ideals. Instead, they're talking of a true sharing of life, a communion with our neighbor and our God. Communion, the word that we use to describe the central ritual of our life as Christians, the Eucharist, the very partaking of the body and blood, the life of Jesus Christ, comes from root words that mean with or together, and oneness and unity. It's through participation in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we Christians come together as one. It's where Jesus Christ becomes one with us, and we one with him, and we one with our neighbor. That's unity for us as Christians, nothing else. And for that very reason, Jesus is also the very thing that divides us. He obviously divides us from many of our neighbors who are not yet ready to bow their knee to his dominion. But he also divides us in some of our closest relationships, be, there, be they with our mom, our dad, our husband, our wife, son, daughter. Why? Because if we're truly following him, he's, he changes us radically. We've joined a new family. We're no longer exactly the son our mother knew, so to speak. He calls us to so many aspects of life that are so inconsistent with the goals most of, our, most of us as parents, like me, have for our children these days. I mean, we want our children to be happy and prosperous, right? Well, Jesus wants them to be joyous and at least unattached to goods. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is this fickle emotion, you know, that you get when something kind of good happens and maybe when things aren't so good, you, you, you're not so happy. Joy is a way of being all the time. It's the way you are when you know you're saved, when you know that even if you were run over by a bus today, nothing would be able to separate you from God's love. God has nothing against you if you have material wealth either, unless you're idolizing it, and it's hard not to. That's the warning of the Gospels. Unless you're idolizing, unless you're put gaining more of it before Christ. If in a crisis you'd rather hoard that wealth than Jesus' living water. That would be the concern. When we gather, that's what Jesus knew about that rich young man who came to him, who turned away sorrowfully when Jesus said to give it all away. Jesus knew that he wasn't willing to part with his wealth, even though he had given everything else to God by following his commandments. 
Being attached to Christ means no attachment you have is stronger than your attachment to him. And that's hard. And it even divides us within ourselves. It keeps us from achieving internal unity and consistency. St. Paul acknowledged this when he said, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law, and that's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul goes on, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war. There's no peace there, right? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Paul's quote there from Romans. We war with our enemies. We war with our friends. We war with our families. And we war within ourselves because of Christ. So we have to hold all that intention that with that war, we likewise have to bring a deep and abiding peace to our enemies, our friends, our families, and within ourselves by being subservient to Jesus. And today's epistle reading tells us how to make that peace. Although it focuses on our relationship with our neighbor, I hope in my exposition to this, that to this point helps you hear in those admonitions about our neighbor, also about the war within yourself and your division from God. And as we unpack that message, I'll, I'll try to help connect some of those aspects. So first, St. Paul admonishes us not to be wise in our own con conceits. This is a call to humility. No one likes to know it all, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. So we have to be humble around our fellow humans on this planet. And obviously, I hope we must be humble before God because no other posture makes any sense when the finite stands before the infinite. And finally, on this point, we also have to not be wise in our own conceits about ourselves. We need to look inside ourselves and be willing to see our faults, not so that we can wallow in them, but so that we can bring them to the light where God and trusted brothers and sisters on our walk can help us with them. Next, St. Paul tells us we are not to render evil for evil. As Christians, we must follow Christ, who, as St. Peter tells us, when he was reviled, did not revile. When he suffered, threatened not, but delivered himself to him who judged unjustly. And therefore, we're told that we should not only provide good, that we, and furthermore, we're told that we should provide good things, not only in God's sight, but in the sight of all men. We can not only be acting with one heart and one soul here in this church, we can not only have unity in this building and then go out in the world and sow discord. 
Yet I see that all too often. Don't you? I see it in myself too. Go a little easy on yourself. But recall, even St. Paul said, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Yet don't take this admonition too lightly. We must be growing into a people who share the communion with God and neighbor that we receive in this place and bring it out of those doors and share it, share that communion with God and neighbor to all those around us. There's nothing that will bring greater unity to the world around us than a Christian life rightly lived. We read in Acts of the apostles how the early Christians lived not only in harmony with each other, how they set a remarkable example for all around them. Those early Christians are why we are here today. Their actions overtook the pagan populace and toppled emperors. They brought peace to the world. You want to fix what's wrong with your country, your world? Get your Bibles out and read how those early Christians lived and start living more like them today in your neighborhood, in your place of work. How shameful is it that we ourselves mar the name of our Savior by our actions in the public arena rather than make him as loved as we love him in the depths of our hearts. So, we also must, as St. Paul tells us, strive to live at peace with all men as much as in us. In other words, as Christians, we must bring the unity. We must bring the love. We can't wait for other people. We can't wait when no one else is able or willing. It's our job to bring the unity of love, the unity and love of God in places where there is none. We can't dream of a better world. We have to make a better world. And just as God lives in peace with all men as much as possible, and with God, nothing is impossible. No matter how people treat him, we need to model our God. Just as God loved us when we were still sinners, just as God makes the sun rise on the bad and the good, causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust so that those crops grow up strong and fruitful, calls upon us. He calls upon us to do the same. And then St. Paul turns to revenge, and I think this is a critical topic that isn't just about personal revenge for the wrongs we experience. Certainly, there's little question we are poor judges of the amount of revenge that we, it's fair to mete out. And instead, we tend to overreact, not only to real grievances, but to perceived ones. Instead, we have to love our enemies as Christ, our Lord, commands of us, resist the temptation to revenge. And here I want to point out how this relates to the other relationships we've, we've been talking about. We also must be mindful not to take revenge toward God. I know that some of you out there listening probably perceive that God's the one that's wronged them in their lives. But there is nothing else I hope you take away from this sermon if, if it isn't this. God loves you. It's the devil who creates such a lie that God would ever harm us. It's ourselves and our fellow man who in sin, deceived by the devil, bring those evils upon us. Look no further than what Jesus Christ has done for you as proof and assurance and tell that devil to get behind you. 
And as we look inside ourselves, we can't take revenge on ourselves either. Remember, St. Paul? We don't do the things we want to do. Even St. Paul. We can't beat ourselves up over all of that. We have to love and care for ourselves too. Not to the extent of narcissism. But I see too often how we beat ourselves up over our sins. And what we need to be doing is giving them up to Christ. He forgives us. The question is, are we willing to forgive ourselves? God's so merciful and forbearing with us. So we need to have patience with our enemies, our neighbors, and ourselves. Most often, everybody is just doing the best that they can. So not only must we have patience, but St. Paul tells us we must do good to them. For when we are kind and loving, he says, we shall heap coals of fire on their head. Instead of being overcome by evil, we will overcome evil with good. When we overcome evil with good, united with Christ, we will have the unity that we as Christians seek. In fact, the world will have the unity it seeks. My beloved brothers and sisters, center your lives on Christ. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, overcome evil with good. Do not seek revenge against God, your neighbor, or yourself. Commune with Christ, unite yourself to Christ and his church, and then bring that joy, that love to the world around you. Do this. And God promises the God in whom we trust, and even history itself proves, that we will receive the unity we want, the unity we need. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.